Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name's Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 108, where we will be discussing chapters 43 through 52 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. Darn tootin'. On our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 53 through 59 of the same. Now, that section will include the interludes four through seven. Yeah, so don't let that get you thrown off. Stick with us. We are not interlude skippers. It's not the kind of people we are. <laughs> so our spoiler policy is that I have not read these books. Liz has read all of them multiple times. So we will not spoil anything past chapter 52 of Oathbringer, lest I become spoiled. Well, nobody wants that. Not at all. Are you ready to do this? I am ready. I am feeling very silly. Uh-oh. This could go <laughs> one of two ways. <laughs> I think it's going to go one of one ways. <laughs> it's late. We are locked in a basement. <laughs> I've had a year's supply of caffeine. <laughs> there is only one possible outcome. This is going to end in silliness. Let's do it. So what did you think of chapter 43? Uh, you know, chapter 43 was all right. Uh, so I think our, not our first Moash um, perspective chapter, but first one we've had in a little while, start to find out what's happening to Moash. There is some really crazy stuff that happens in this chapter. One of my favorite things ever. This whole section kind of has some crazy There's stuff. There's some crazy stuff in this section. Yeah, yeah, we're about almost 40% of the way through the book, so things are going to start really ramping up. Let's 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 make it happen. Let's see it. <laughs> All right, let's dive in. Chapter 43 is called Spearman. Oh, Moash. Poor Moash is living with the consequences of his actions. He and his fellow Diagram members are attacked as they flee across the Shattered Plains. Graves is killed, but Moash is merely captured and forced to give up his shard blade. Mm. Moash, his is a tale of sorrow. <laughs> so Graves finally gets his comeuppance, and he doesn't even get to fight. I mean, he just gets thwacked. Like, doesn't even get off a parry. Best death in the series <laughs> hands down there's no grandstanding none he's just like what is that i see in the sky <laughs> it's over whack done <laughs> i like this so much that i wrote a song about it you did <laughs> If you want to hear that song, The Ballad of Moash and Graves, <laughs> stick around to the very end of the podcast. So had we already confirmed that Graves works for the diagram? I can't remember. We had, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. If we hadn't confirmed it, I was pretty convinced of right. it. Right, like, I, I couldn't remember yeah. at this point. I'm pretty sure we had, because when that, when that came around, I was not 
Like I wasn't like, oh, confirm, you know, like I was like, yeah, I knew that. Right. So I feel like that was a, a confirmed fact. I don't find Moash to be a particularly interesting point of view character. Mm-hmm. But I do find the situation he finds himself in and all the things that are kind of going on uh, to be pretty deavy. It's totally deavy. It's a little deavy. No, I don't think it's deavy. Deavy to me. Okay. Listen, one man's deavy. Is another man's skeevy? That's just so boomer. (laughs) Don't call me a boomer. (laughs) I am so sick of getting called a boomer all day long. It's ridiculous. By your snot-nosed little children. <laughs> Listen, and they every, know it pisses me off. Everyone, everybody knows that anybody over the age of 20 is a boomer. And, and if you try to correct them... Well, that's just something a boomer would do. Uh, well, and they let you know that Generation X is irrelevant, so therefore, I'm a boomer. I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think right. perhaps Moash is like a wild animal that has been kept too long. Curious to, to think about how the Fused found this like random party wandering. Oh, like, well, I think it's worthy of noting that in the beginning of the chapter, Moash talks about how they have a fire going, a big fire, oh, and that yeah. Graves is like, yeah, whatever. Anyone who would see our fire, we can take care of. You know, they're thinking bandits. They're not thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, flying kind of alien Raining things. death right. from the sky. And it's so, it's strange that the diagram has like no, it's not focused on these guys. Doesn't appear to be, no. You know? They're, they're definitely not, Graves at least is definitely not seeing them as a threat. Yeah, it's also just sort of interesting, you know, is this is this kind of what they're doing? They're just, you know, the fused who are like, you know, in the upper echelon, of, in the pecking order of Voidbringers, they're pretty high up there. You know, I, we don't have a sense of how many of them there are, mm-hmm. but it just seems strange that they would be running around and just going off and randomly picking off small roving bands of humans. You know, are like, are they drawn to like the shard plate and the shard blades in some way? Or is it just bad luck? I mean, no, I think they're probably just patrolling yeah. the area around their territory. It's also interesting, the name, The Fused. Mm-hmm. So Brandon Sanderson seems to me like somebody who's like really very deliberate with his names. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, you know, they're kind of one note names. They mean something directly meaning the fused means is going to mean something. I don't mm-hmm. know what it means. I have some suspicions, but but it's definitely going to mean something. Well, yeah, I think I I definitely agree with you there. I think Moash's character progression is worth talking about here because we see him something that starts in this chapter and then continues over the rest of the section that we read this regression back to First, in giving up his shard blade and going back to the spear, and then he he continues that regression back to the back to being a a slave in the bridge crew, basically uh, later on in the section. But in this chapter, that's where he he first cuts off his bridge four patch, and that's kind of his last symbol of tying him to to that crew. And then 
he realizes he's not able to really fight well with the shard blade. So he dismisses it and picks up a spear again. It's just kind of moving backwards. He's trying to like figure out how to get back to the person that he, he wants to be. He wants to unring that bell. He does. But we'll watch him kind of slide farther and farther away from taking any kind of responsibility for making that happen. But I do, I love when he, when he does pick up the spear and says, Bridge for you bastards. I noted the description of the fused. It said, Moash's foe came for him and he lashed out with his blade driving her back. She seemed to glide as she moved, feet barely touching the ground. And I'm thinking, this isn't the same thing as lift, right? They have very different powers than the radiance that we've seen. They're similar, but they don't mm-hmm. seem to happen in the same combination. And mm. yeah, I would say that seems similar to lift. It does. But she doesn't heal when she's stabbed. No. And she can't, uh, we, we notice that she can't put lashings on objects even though she can fly. It's always shaking things up, but you know they've got uh, probably a whole intricately charted out system. I'm, I'm sure in there's Brandon a physio diagram somewhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Chapter 44 is called The Bright Side. Vale and her men get some spy lessons from Ishna. Vale is a natural, of course. She gets so engrossed in her training that Shalan is late for her meeting with Navani and her scholars. She butts heads with Adolin's ex and gets an excellent idea from Renarin. So at the beginning of this chapter, there's a picture of a ship with a sail kind of at the bottom Later, a few chapters on, we'll oh, yeah. realize what this is. Yeah, it's, Navani mentions drawing di- uh, drawing pictures of it. Yeah, Right. So that's kind of cool. If you are not reading on a Kindle, you can probably enjoy that picture. But Yeah, I'm reading on a Kindle. On a Kindle <laughs> is pretty useless. But so we've got another Veil to Shallan transition where the, we can really see the personalities separating to the point that she no longer even identifies Shalan as herself. So this is where we get Ishna and sort of the first opportunity to to look at what her skill set is. Mm-hmm. She's trying to coach the, you know, Shalan sort of crew mm-hmm. uh, into how to observe and be unobserved and mm-hmm. some basic espionage stuff. I wrote down this quote. Now Ishna said, can any of you describe the tavern's occupants without looking, mind you? Uh, Gaz scratched his eye patch. There's a cute one at the bar. She might be Thalen. What color is her blouse? Hmm. Well, it's low cut, and she's grown some nice rock buds. (laughs) Dude. Rock buds are boobs. Dude, that's rough. (laughs) That's really rough. Uh, Ishna, actually, I, I, I noted, seems pretty competent, actually, at this. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is going to be interesting. Which will be interesting later when we have an interaction with the ghost bloods. Yeah, I agree. Vale, on the other hand, is Jason Bourne. <laughs> she walks into the conversation. She's like, "That man is two hundred and thirty-five pounds. Knows handle how to handle himself." There are three cars in the parking lot from New York. One from Vermont. License tag five G six. Like she just remembers all that stuff. It's crazy how Shalon's ability, her kind of photographic memory, it manifests different ways depending on what personality she is kind of being. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if she had been Shalon, I don't know that she would have displayed that same ability. 
Not in that same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I think what I find most significant in this chapter is how Shalon is using her fractured identity to kind of divorce herself of responsibility um, from addressing any of her own faults. You know, she thinks whoever she is being at the moment is thinking disparagingly of the other personality. Mm -hmm. So Vale's a drinker, you know, Shalon is naive and she's flighty. You know, Radiant is obsessive and she's kind of cold, but like none of those are actually her. And for me, that's just so relatable. I think humans, we all have a natural instinct to attribute blame for our faults to other factors. We don't like actually create other personalities to be Mm. like. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. But I think Brandon Sanderson has something really profound to say here about the importance of self-acceptance. You know, we've talked about Shalon's problems and this kind of fractured identity being rooted in her childhood trauma. And I think that's true, but it seems to me the bigger issue and like her core defect is her perfectionism. And that's really Mm. relatable to me and probably, you know, someone else out there too. And, you know, perfectionism isn't something that I think many people consider a real defect. That's like the kind of defect that like when your prospective employer is like, what are your faults? You're like, oh, well, I'm a perfectionist, you know, (laughs) but, but like seriously, perfectionism will straight up ruin your life. Hell yeah. And Shalon's inability to accept that she has faults or to accept anything less than perfection from herself i see that as being like the root of her creating these personalities so now she doesn't have to to accept that oh you know maybe she likes drinking too much Mm -hmm. you know or maybe she is kind of flighty and maybe she needs to address that you know so for me this character storyline just really resonates and i'm you know at this point in the book, I get excited for like watching the rest of it develop. So I think a lot of what you're talking about here shows up, particularly when Vale is out of the picture and she becomes Shalon and she's back yeah. with uh, Navani and Yasna. Yeah. Uh, I noted, you know, the the one line that I thought was interesting is she says, I need somebody who can handle this, she thought, a scholar. Mm-hmm. Part of me can become a scholar, not Vale or Brightness Radiant, but someone. And then she sort of catches herself. Mm-hmm. And recognizes what she's doing. And she has this sort of, you know, epiphanous moment, which is interesting uh, later, you know, later when uh, Yasna comes up and and sort of challenges her on what's going on. And she's like, she doesn't even recognize that I just had like a big moment of growth. <laughs> like, yeah, Also, I think there's such a good point here about how someone in extreme crisis can look like someone who's just fucking around. You know, to Shalon is in this constant inner turmoil where she is, yeah, has been wrestling with her sanity like this entire series. But all Yasna can see is like, man, she just kind of needs to get it together. And how true is that of how we view people who are struggling? Yeah, I think she's starting to realize that she can't be three separate people mm-hmm. and still be a whole one person. Mm-hmm. And now she's not even sure which of those people she really is or what she actually, which one she actually even wants to be. Yeah. And I, and I do think it, I brought it up before, you know, I do think it's interesting to note that, you know, we met her when she was 15 after she'd already gone through all these traumas and had this, these fractured personalities. I'm not certain we can assume that Shalon is even the original personality. 
I mean, I think she mm-hmm. is. I don't, yeah. you know, I'm not, I don't want to get too uh, sixth sense about it, but, mm-hmm. but just interesting to note. I can't stop saying the word interesting now. I know. I can't stop it either. We need a thesaurus. So a couple other things I noticed during the meeting. One is, again, the the taboo against the storm wardens and against anything that has to do with predicting the future. That gets brought up. And we have to talk about the clapback against Janala. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So Renarin comes in to audit the meeting, basically, and... He he tries to contribute something, which is actually probably very useful information. And one of the other scribes, the one who was Adolin's ex, says something snotty to him, and Shalon just just mows her down. Yeah, you know, she does. to the point that they have to stop the meeting. So that was kind of cool. And I thought that just Renarin and Shalon's interaction there was kind of cool as well. Well, especially when you consider that when Shalon first met Renarin, she was very creeped out by him. You know, and made several times made comments to the effect of he was creepy. I didn't like him, you know. Yes. And it's that's mentioned about Renarin over and over by many characters. There's something about him that just seems a little off and certain mannerisms that are. And we've talked about this before. Renarin is meant to uh, be someone who has autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's neat how it comes up here that, yes, there's this character that's a little off, but he sees things that nobody else does. And he sees things that are outside of the box. And if you know or love anyone with with ASD, you can probably relate to that. You know that mm-hmm. um, that that's true. And, and at the end, Dalinar showing up so that Renarin didn't feel so awkward. I that just gave me a little happy tingle. Yeah the uh, the last comment I have is actually about Yasna. So Shalon and Pattern are talking, and Pattern says. I do not think you're paying attention, Shalon. She is not very empathetic, talking about Yasna. <laughs> right, right. And this is the first time I've sort of noted that Yasna is sort of like the brilliant but unempathetic side of Taravangian, mm. except sort of permanently mm-hmm. on that spectrum. That's a good point. Although we do see Yasna crack a little bit later on in this section. Yeah, it's not as though... She's at the extreme end. She's of not the a pen. sociopath. Exactly, but but, but yeah, I, I definitely see some similarities there. But further along on that that side of the spectrum than than most people, we definitely know she has. I would say she is either less empathetic than the average person, or she is able to stifle it right better than the average person. Well, we get some some revelations about Yasna's past as well we a little later in this section. Chapter 45 is called A Revelation. The fused who captured Moash bring him to Relevar. He joins the other human slaves there and realizes that people are basically the worst. He signs up to perform the hardest task available in the camp because he'd rather be a chull than who he is right now. Man. These light-eyed prisoners are not Deevy. They're not Deevy. They are not. So this is the chapter where Moash uh, takes his Sociology 101 class and realizes that the owners of the means of production are exploiting the workers. <laughs> what? It, it, is, it is fascinating, though, 
and you see this in other places in real human history where people who get thrown into this sort of like prison or a place where like they sort of lose all functional society, you know, like they're put in a place where like normal societal norms and, and power structures and stratification and all that don't matter. Everyone's the same in mm-hmm. this prison sort of setting. Mm-hmm. And yet they still clasp to those old things mm-hmm. anyway. You know, and he's sort of stunned by it, I think, because he, you know, he can sort of see it from, you know, from a different perspective. But it's not at all surprising or not at all unusual. This is what, you know, people do to try to grasp back some degree of normalcy Mm -hmm. in a situation that isn't normal at all. You know, they're trying to reach for what they know, you know, and that's what these people are doing. You know, and this light-eyed person who's in charge there is trying to say, you know, trying to hold on to things and keep it as normal in his mind, as normal as it can be until he feels like somebody's going to come around and rescue them and sort of, you know, restore the order, mm-hmm. you know, ignoring that in the meantime, you know, they barely have enough food to feed everybody, mm-hmm. but the light eyes are sitting there and sort of, you know, sequestered away and dining and having a good time and eating while outside of the tent, you know, feet away, there are babies crying in hunger. Yeah. And it's that meeting with Paladar that really cements Moash's disillusionment with his own race. He's just, he's over being a human. People suck. He's got it on a t-shirt. Man, he's spending way too much time on Twitter. (laughs) He really is. But I think it's a it's a neat comparison with Shalon. Moash is also going through these great lengths to avoid responsibility for looking at his faults, just like in a more conventional way. So, you know, Shalon is literally creating magical personalities. Moash is just being like, well, no one ever really liked me. Yeah, I, Everyone's yeah. always treated me with hostility and I'm just always that kind of, you know, but when you've got this magic system where progression of powers is based on personal growth and self-awareness like these examples of what happens when you refuse self-examination and accountability i think that's really important and you can see it in a lot of different characters if you start looking for that well and and moash has always been that way like that's Mm -hmm. that's always been the case but i think what's tricky for him is that you know and particularly here particularly in this moment is that he can look outside of himself, see all the things that are wrong, and therefore not look at his own issues. But the kicker of it is, is he's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as though he's wrong. It's right. not as though his observations are wrong. Right. They're completely 100% right. And at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that he's here because he tried to assassinate the king. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, who had nothing to do, you know, had nothing to do mm-hmm. with his grandparents' death, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he had a little something to do with a it. A little something to do with it. But, but it was still the wrong action. And he is, he is, and we watch him progress through this section, just more and more convoluted thought processes in order to rationalize and justify what he did. And, um, yeah, because, yeah, if he can focus on this, he can ignore what he did. Mm-hmm. At the same point in time, you can see him wrestling with it because he still, understands that he's the one who broke away from bridge four, not them. 
At this point, he's still acknowledging that. True. Chapter 46 is called When the Dream Dies. Sigzel and Bridge 4 are running tests to determine the extent of their new powers. Poor Scar is the only one who hasn't figured out how to draw Stormlight. Kaladin takes them to the Shattered Plains where Scar helps new scout, Lynn, find her glow and finally manages to do some glowing himself. It's all about that glow, man. Gotta get that glow. Hey, man, I need that glow. (laughs) So I just talked about the comparison between Shallan and Moash, and it's an interesting contrast with Scar. Because, you know, here's Scar, okay? Despite working as hard as he can, he's still failing at something that's really important to him. Mm -hmm. And he's crushed and he's disappointed and he's terrified of losing his place in Bridge Four. But rather than run away from his failure or make excuses, he faces it head on and he chooses to encourage Lynn, who's kind of going through the same thing. And I think that's such an important comparison And I wrote down this quote, um, what he says to her is, as long as you keep trying, there's a chance. When you give up, that's when the dream dies. I'm glad you focused on those items because all those things are 100% true. But all I caught was him being like, don't be stupid, you silly bent. You got to keep your head down. Now, I think for me, this chapter really speaks to the difference between giving up and having acceptance because Scar doesn't actually, he finally invests Stormlight once he accepts that he might not ever do it, you know, and lets go of his fear that he's not going to fit in. And that's, you know, we know that that's the same fear that led him to become a slave because he so wanted to become a part of the, um, the black caps or, or whatever military mm-hmm. organization he really wanted to join that he stole some of their equipment, hoping that it would impress them. In this case, he is able to kind of move past that shortcoming and that that obsessive need to belong and to be the same as everyone else. And he, when he faces it head on is when he finally gets what he was trying to achieve. No, it's a good growth chapter. Absolutely. Uh, my favorite part, though, is when they're all like comparing their times and stuff. And Leighton's like, well, how'd I do? And they're like, well, you stopped for food on the way. And I was like, <laughs> I just felt that. I felt that deep in my heart. I'm with you, Leighton. I would definitely, if I had super speed, if I was like, so if you know me at all, you know that, I st- oh gosh, I struggle with lateness. Do I struggle with that? A little bit. I've gotten a lot better <laughs> over the years. I wouldn't say you've been struggling with it. <laughs> feel like it's, I feel like it's other people. <laughs> I'm just saying, if I had like super speed and could get anywhere in 10 minutes, I would probably be like, oh, now I can stop for food. I'm just saying, I, two or three years ago, maybe even longer, I legitimately told your family when you weren't around, if you ever need us to be somewhere at a specific time, tell us we need to be there a half hour before. (laughs) And they do. I don't, not, 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 not enough. enough, not enough. No, <laughs> I, I get upset when I'm like, you, you actually wanted us to be here at three. Why did you tell us that then? You should have said two 30. <laughs> I've been telling you guys this for years. <laughs> like, It's true. The struggle is real. It is. Hey, you know what? I accept that's, it's a fault. I'm not afraid to look at it. Yo. 
you 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 want to say something smart i can tell no no i'm ready to go You're chapter 47 it. oh oh the last thing i wanted to talk about was the the importance of social support in dealing with stuff and how that plays out in bridge four and i think we've got just three important characters kind of back to back. We watch Shalon dealing with something that really in the same way Moash is kind of dealing with. And then we see Scar dealing with it. But the difference is Scar has this team around him. Absolutely. And he accepts their support and he accepts their, that, um, that kind of unconditional love of his friends. And I think that's a big factor in what allows him to, to move past what he needs to move past versus Shalon who keeps herself closed off from everyone with her secrets and Moash who chose to walk away because he couldn't let go of his vengeance. So I think that's an important contrast to point out too. No, that's a great observation. Not one I had thought of when you pointed it out. I'm like, yep, it's, it's a good point. Yep. You know, cause Shalon has the opportunity that Moash doesn't like mm-hmm. Moash doesn't have the opportunity. Right. Uh, particularly not now the graves. Not dead. now. <laughs> he ain't got no friends. <laughs> but but Shalon does have the opportunity. But Shalon's own personalities don't talk to each other, mm-hmm. let, let alone bringing in other people. Mm-hmm. You know, Radiant talks to Adolin. Vale talks to kind of you know Vetha and Gaz, and you know Shalon is. Shalon of all the personalities is really kind of stuck in her own head and Mm -hmm. is the one who's exhibiting most of the problems as a result of what's going on, which Mm -hmm. is why I think that is kind of the core personality. You know, she's the one who shows up at meetings and just can't even be present. Mm -hmm. She's so trapped in her own head. Mm -hmm. Chapter 47 is called So Much is Lost. Yasna and Ivory discuss how much time they've lost since the botched assassination, and how much time the human race has lost since the last desolation. Yasna knows the secret that caused the recreants, but Ivory cautions her never to share it. Oh, Yasna knows something. She does. It's funny. I had um, I wrote down that I thought she learned she knew the 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 secret to the recreants. I. I mean, it, they're obviously hinting at it, but I... Well, she she talks about knowing it and that Ivory says, if you tell them, it will cause another recreance. Yeah, yeah. So this chapter starts out with the... So this chapter starts out with Yasna reading the transcription of what the Herald was saying when he was found, the madman. And it starts off with, Kalak will teach you to cast bronze if you have forgotten this. We will so cast blocks of metal directly to you. I wish we could teach you steel, but casting is so much easier than forging, and you must have something we can produce quickly. Your stone tools will not serve against what is to come. So this is the first time it's become apparent to me that you can't soul cast any sort of alloys or compounds. It has to be something pure, like mm-hmm. copper or limestone. I'm not sure what it means, but it's you know we've heard this bef- multiple times mm-hmm. before. But I just never, you know, it was like we'll teach you to cast bronze. We we'd love to show you the secrets of steel, but we just don't have time. And I, and that's there for a reason. Again, mm-hmm. he's pointing that out for some some reason. The first time I really picked up on the on the difference. Between, you know, copper, why can you soul cast one and not the other? Right. You know, does make you wonder how they can 
soulcast rock, but I guess it would just be like pure limestone or pure soapstone or some other pure stone, not sort of mingled with other, you know, other types of rocks, but. Yes, and they talk about all soul cast buildings looking kind of exactly the same. Yeah. You know, completely uniform. So that would make sense. Mm-hmm. This is also the first time we've really seen this much of Ivory, who is Yasna's spren. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously played by Paul Bettany. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. And they have a neat relationship, and obviously they've been working yeah. together for a long time. I have some things I'd like to talk about with ivory as well but i have one mm-hmm. other observation about the heralds if you don't mind and oh, we can yeah. kind of close the yeah. close the door on that and, and move ahead so the other thing about the heralds words are that they repeat themselves he gets into a point and then he just ends up going yes, into a loop because he's not saying <laughs> yeah uh, part of the reason why i bring it up and I, I don't think this has anything to do with anything but the almighty's words used to repeat in a loop as well. Right. Because those were a recording. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think one has anything to do with the other, but I just think it's sort of interesting that that they both kind of just go in this loop. Yeah. Don't, I agree. Don't know if it means anything. I, I actually, one of the things I noted about Ivory, so Yasna has this tendency, in my opinion, to see things kind of in black and white terms. And Ivory is black and white oh snap because his name is ivory but he's he's black a stretch i I like it perhaps but but the juxtaposition of his name being ivory and yet him being jet black Mm -hmm. is the is i don't know if it means anything i i think that yasna mentions that he picked that name because it was a sign of rebellion against what he was supposed to be that's right yeah He's a bad boy. <laughs> so we learn a little tidbit about Yasna's past. We do, yes. I wrote the quote down um, where she's, something triggers a memory and it says, something stirred deep within her. Glimmers of memory from a dark room, screaming her voice ragged. A childhood illness no one else seemed to remember for all it had done to her. It had taught her that people she loved could still hurt her. Precisely the quote that I wrote down. Boom. Even to where we began and ended. Wow. We are so insane. Simpatico. We should get married. We should do that. We should do that right now. Yes. Do you want to go get married? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's the first time you've ever gone along with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm always like, do you want to go get bananas? And you're like, what? We don't have bananas. <laughs> I'm not here to play your reindeer games, Dukes. <laughs> So this is this is a revelation that you know we and we have another reference to it later in the section. You know, what is this illness? Does she also literally mean that others can't remember? I'm taking it no, mm-hmm. no that it's not like that, like the night mm-hmm. watcher type scenario, but we've been with Yasna for a long time with her family members for a long time. This has never come up. Mhm. So there's also one other thing she says about it a little later in the chapter. She's She says, my mind has always been something I could rely on except once. Yep. I, again, my next quote written down. In my time of peace, however, my mind had always been the one thing I could rely upon except once. She totally get married. <laughs> 
So what kind of spren is Ivory again? He's an ink spren. Ink spren, okay. Which I don't, not sure exactly what that means. Okay. Whatever kind of spren he is, it's interesting that he has a conversation with Yasna about, you know, sort of all the different spren, and, and it seems like that they war with honor spren into mm-hmm. a lesser degree cryptics. Yeah. So it's like spren or pogs. <laughs> It's Who like, remembers Pogs? It's like rock, paper, slammer. <laughs> Come on, all my insignificant, irrelevant Gen, Gen Xers. You play with Pogs? What are you, a boomer? <laughs> boomer. <sighs> so the other thing I thought was a huge revelation in this uh, chapter that we haven't mentioned yet is Yasna has spies reporting on Shalon. Yes, yeah, she does. Yasna is hella paranoid she turned down the nicer rooms at the top of the tower because they were too easy for assassins to penetrate and she's kind of in this sort of inner room she has she has blankets stuffed in all of the air vents so that no one can eavesdrop on her or Mm -hmm. get into the room that way what do you think of that do you think she is reasonably paranoid or is she irrational at this point I don't know. It's a good question because early on, I would have said this was her simply knowing and understanding that she knew things that nobody else knew mm-hmm. that could potentially save the entire world. Mm-hmm. And now, as referenced in this chapter, everything that she knew is now common knowledge. Right. So there's no, there's nothing that she has which is somehow now special. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I take it I take it that she's survived multiple assassination attempts and so she's now I think right. he, I think you would be paranoid, you know. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. So the last note I have in here is about again what you said before that they apparently learned something from wit. Uh you know, it, we, we believe it's the cause of the original recreants. I think I actually know what it is though. Uh, the recreants, that is. Oh, I think excited. I know what the recreants is. I think that you the, should know what the recreants is. No, I know what the event is. I oh, mean, okay. I'm telling you why it happened. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm excited for that in predictions. No, I'm telling you now. Oh, you're telling me now. I'm telling you right now. Oh, like you're just you get your mind ready. I'm okay. I'm ready. So the original Knights Radiance learned about In and Out Burgers animal style. And they're like, you mean I could have been eating this way all along? <laughs> I think in truth that what uh. happened is that actually what I what I actually think happened okay. is that they realized that every time they ate an animal style burger, <laughs> it meant the destruction of one species in the South American uh, jungles. I deserve that. (laughs) You know who you're dealing with. I do. I do. So we get more information about various orders of Spren, at least from Ivory's perspective. And I thought it was interesting how he says that he was sure that the honor Spren would never return. Like they wouldn't Mm -hmm. dare show their faces in this realm. Because everybody hates them. I get the honor spren are like the plastics of the spren world. (laughs) 
You were just watching Mean Girls, weren't I you? I did just watch Mean Girls. Fair warning. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched Mean Girls. And that the cryptics are trouble, but nobody really goes to war with them because they're not actually really interested in taking over. They just have their city and they just want to like creep around and listen to other people's conversations, but they're not looking to conquest for conquest. This is just going to hump your leg. It doesn't mean anything by it. <laughs> just, just let him do it, get it over <laughs> with and we can go on with our dinner. But for me, the most significant thing that Yasna says here about the different kinds of spren is that the difference between a higher spren like ivory and a common emotion spren is their ability to decide how to act. So this just pulls together everything we've been talking about, you know, regarding personal responsibility and making choices, not just based on your feelings or your circumstances, but on on what you feel is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Speaking of personal responsibility. Oh, it's our boy. Get back to Moash. Chapter 48 is called The Rhythm of Work. Moash begins his surprisingly cushy life as a slave to the Parshendi. Moash has given up on himself and humanity, and now all he wants is to be left alone in his room so he can cut the sleeves off of his My Chemical Romance t-shirt in peace. God! (laughs) He does stand up for the group of Parshmen who brought Kaladin to the camp and manages to keep them from being whipped. So good on him. You guys shouldn't fight, okay? <laughs> God, the human race just sucks. I wish I was a dog. <laughs> Moash grunted as he crossed the uneven ground, hauling a thick knotted cord over his shoulder. He did not care anymore. Life and death, the same. <laughs> the ashes were trampled into the earth, and the blood became as snow. Who knew what they came for? Weapons of steel or murder. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of and unto this Moash. Ten internet points to anyone who gets that reference. (laughs) I will get zero internet points. (laughs) I did not get that reference. I had to make up something to say. You did. That's okay. (laughs) So in this chapter, Moash, who finds out that his kink is pulling sledges. um, (laughs) But he he gives up. I can only get off if I'm pulling a sledge. (laughs) Hey, baby. I got a sledge in my backyard. (laughs) Why don't you hop on my sledge? <laughs> but he, he gives up You know any- the thing about these sledges? <laughs> I keep getting stronger. They stay the same weight. <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. All right, see, it was, it was worth it. Well, this is where we see Moash give up any pretense of responsibility over his current situation or his past mistakes. At this point, he's just decided it's not my fault that I did what I did. It's the world is it's crazy. I, anyone would have done that. And I was pushed into it. I can't be held responsible. And you watch him just growing more and more miserable as he, you know, refuses to own anything that's happened to him or that he has done. Well, and he's also trying to find some way to 
again, to unring the bell. Like he's right. like, this, this is what I deserve, but it's also sort of an echo to bridge four. Right. And so we also want to mention the, that saw and the crew that Kaladin helped is now not doing so great. And that Kaladin didn't even think about that when he kind of flew off. He was kind of like, you know, he, he came into the camp and then he saw the fuse and he was like, oh, crap. And he, he yeah. flies off, doesn't even give a, a thought to, or maybe he does and I'm wrong. But but certainly if it's a thought, it's a passing thought. Like, I hope that that the people who brought me here are not going to be persecuted. And, and guess what? They are. They were. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Until Moash steps in and and he says to the overseers, you need to be better than us. You can't, you can't mistreat each other. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of something positive about his character, which other than that is pretty much just sad sack. Mm -hmm. So before the, um, before we get to the next chapter, it's important to note that Moash and the crew are, are headed towards Kolinar. And that reminds me that uh, we have a new sponsor that we'd like to talk about today. We do have a new sponsor. And so we'll, we're going to have a couple of ads in this podcast. Um, just full disclosure, that's what they are. We've, we've never actually used either of these products, but we are, you know, it, we still feel strongly about them. We're, we're, we feel comfortable supporting them. Culture. Architecture. Decadence. The Dawn City. The Wind Blades. The Impossible Falls. Are you dreaming of a deluxe vacation? An escape from the world? Come to Kolinar, the city that defied the winds. If you squint real hard, the palace walls look like a lady's safe hand. That's ridiculous. All your friends are going to be jealous when you show them the drawings of you having a great time. No worries. Dancing in the winds. In Kolinar. In Kolinar. When the cold winds blow, you don't need to run and hide. Nothing can go wrong in Kolinar. In Kolinar. Nothing can, can go, go wrong, wrong in Kolinar. In Kolinar. Let your freak hand fly in Kolinar. You're an idiot. I mean, check it out. You really got to go there. I mean, we haven't personally been there, but... I'm very excited. Absolutely. Very excited to try it. Chapter 49 is called Born Unto Light. A young Dalinar goes through his trying drugs phase. (laughs) Fire Moss doesn't cut it when you're jonesing for the thrill, but Dalinar is afraid to give in to his urge to fight. Gavilar finally sends him out to get some action mere minutes after Adolin is born. What a dick, right? I know. <laughs> I don't know. Or is he? Or maybe he's maybe he's like, my brother is unhinged. Let's get him the hell out of town and away from this baby. That's interesting because one of the notes I have about Gavilar is that he's like kind of just fine with Dalinar being a monster. Oh, yeah. You know, like Dalinar he's actually. He's my monster. Yeah, he brings it up. Yeah. He's like, I, I am a little worried about myself. Like, I'm maiming people on the regular and Gavilar's like you're just like the almighty major don't change a thing (laughs) i need you that way that's right yeah it's kind of messed up you know yeah it's the um you know he's the mountain and Gavilar is tywin lannister Mm -hmm. so i think also the interesting thing about this chapter is 
It demonstrates that all the issues we experience related to Teft's Moss addiction aren't a single episode. I really kind of ex- have expected that thing to be kind of a one and done. I thought right. Brandor would give it sort of a treatment. It'd be a singular event. And yeah. then, you know, we would move on from it. But that's clearly not the case. This is going to be part of some larger theme. I think it's uh, cool that uh, Brandor is tackling this topic. It's not something you typically see addressed in fantasy. Mm-hmm. You you often see it in sci-fi, but not fantasy as much. But the question for me is, why is he addressing this here and now in this book? I don't, I don't have an answer for that, but mm. it's, the, I'm just curious what the, why the timing of it now. It, it's, it's something that's going to come from this. Well, again, for me, I see in the characters that are being brought up in this book and in these journeys that are all about overcoming your personal defects, your personal battles, I think it's a very relevant and timely thing to address, you know, and Teft is a very interesting case because he's already sworn oaths. He's got a spren, like follow him. He's basically trying to ghost a spren, okay, which is impossible because they mm-hmm. literally don't sleep and they can follow you anywhere. But he's <laughs> like, uh, remind me to tell you actually about my spren story. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I had a spren following me the other day. It scared the hell out of me. So Is I was, that it? so I was, um, I was walking from my parking lot into my office, mm-hmm. and uh, I heard this man's voice, and it was like, it was like seven o'clock in the morning, like seven thirty maybe. Uh, there's nobody around, you know. I look around, um, and it's like it's it's not close enough that I can make out what he's saying, but it's close enough that I can hear it. And so I'm like, what the hell? And I'm just assuming it's like a weird echo. And so I just keep walking and I go towards my office door and it's following me. Whatever this what? sound is, is like following me. Is this me. a real story? So I'm like, well, I don't want him to know where I work. So I just walked past my office door, which is weird because there's like, there's nothing there's else, nothing around, else, else around there, you know, like. <laughs> It's not like a bagel works right next door. Exactly. Yeah. So then, so like, I'm, you know, just like do like a half loop around the parking lot. And really by the time I like, by the time I turn around, you know, I'm like, well, this is stupid. And then I realized that the sound is coming from my pocket. Oh, it's your phone. And it was playing a podcast and I was listening to a Dan Carlin hardcore history <laughs> podcast and the Germans were about to invade Belgium. And I was like. It's really, really a good thing that I wasn't listening to like one of my D and D podcasts. Because <laughs> if I had been listening to Laugh Finder, and I would have, you know, thought that the uh, thought that the beholders were coming after me or the mind flayers were going to take me down into the underdark. So yeah, that's my Spren story. <laughs> you think there's a podcast Spren? Maybe if there is, I've, I've definitely attracted one. <laughs> that's why you don't put that's your iPhone directly story. in your pocket. <laughs> a great story but the um but there is you know we've always known that dalinar had this thing i mean we our first introduction to dalinar was at uh the dinner where he was passed out when gavilar was assassinated right so we've known that this was an issue and this is of course dalinar's book so it would stand to reason that this is the one where it's going to come to light and you know, I think Tef just gives us an example sort of in the present tense mm-hmm. to kind of create a parallel. Right. 
I have some questions about his uh, his addiction, though. Is it because he doesn't know what to do when the, quote, thrill is gone? You know, when B.B. King is playing? Mm. Or is it because of all of his responsibilities? I think it's the thrill. Have we talked a lot about the thrill? Yeah. And, wh- and have we, is what I'm asking you. What what are yeah, your, we've talked about what's the, your understanding of what we've it talked is? About, it's f- f- bizarre. Right. And definitely evil. Um not inspired by good things. You know, I think it's I think it's of odium and I think it's designed to kill souls and separate them from their bodies and those souls to go into uh, not the tranquil and halls, but to where, uh, you know, damnation to feed odium. You know, I think that's what I think it is. You know, I don't think Dalinar can handle uh, that he's a mass murderer who's become an instrument of death, you know, and that his only sort of, you know, is it that his only recourse, uh, his only way of handling his issues is through killing people or worse because he's married? Well, and I think the thrill is highly you made a crack i missed it i'm sorry i think the thrill is highly addictive so much so that no other drugs or nothing else really takes the edge off he's just craving it constantly Oof. evie needs to just beat the shit out of him he's he's into that hardcore kink that's his kink my safe word is silence. <laughs> so there's going to be a fight in the bar. They're like, I don't know what kind of bars these guys hang out at, that there's like a wrestling ring. Wrestling bars. And, 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 the, and the men take their shirts off and grease themselves up. What kind it's, of bars did you hang out in college? Uh, not cool enough ones, apparently. <laughs> you know, and uh, Dalinar is like, you know, he wants to to jump in there, but everyone doesn't want him to. And this is not like the last time we saw Dalinar wrestle when they're like, nobody wants to hurt the old man. Nobody wants to hurt their high prince. Right. People aren't going to treat you seriously. This is the exact opposite. They are terrified of him because he hurts people. And, mm-hmm. and his friends tell him that the last time you did this, you basically destroyed three people's lives. You didn't mm-hmm. kill them, but you, you did everything short of killing them. Mm hmm. You know, and Dalinar's like, hurting people because of my anger makes me angry right. and makes me want to hurt people. <laughs> Someone give me baby to throw. <laughs> yeah, that's a spot on right there. That's my Dalinar impression. A spot on impression. And then Gav- uh, Gavilar comes around and he says, uh, Yasna is fine and recovering. So here's our sort of second hint. Yes. You know, and we know that this was 24 years ago, uh, right before Adolin was born. But again, now we have, you know, we still don't really have anything else mm-hmm. other than that. You know, yep. Gavilar, he whispered, I'm worried. I'm like an animal. Gavilar, did you hear about the bar fight? Storms, I can't be trusted around people. You are what the almighty made you. I'm telling you, I'm dangerous. Sure, I can crush this little rebellion, bathe Oathbringer in some blood. Great, wonderful. Then what? I come back here and lock myself in a cage again? I might have something that will help. Bah! I've tried living a quiet life. I can't live through through endless politics like you can. I need more than just words. You're merely trying to restrain yourself. You've tried casting out the bloodthirst, 
but you haven't replaced it with anything yet. Mm. That is very significant. You know why it is? Why? Because I paused afterwards. Yes. Definitely emphasizes. I slowed the down my words and then I hung a lampshade on it. <laughs> Good quote. I like the part about Gavilar telling Dalinar that he is as the Almighty made him. And I think, and I want to talk in the next flashback chapter or one of the next Dalinar chapters about how the Voran religion really ties into this this idea of personal responsibility that we've been talking about. Yeah, and it comes, it's the next chapter. In chapter oh, it is 50. this chapter. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Chapter 50 is called Shosh 37. Kaladin takes Dalinar, Elokar, and Navani for a flight across the Shattered Plains. Dalinar investigates the room where Talon was held and finally gets Queen Fen to agree to meet with him. The first thing I notice in this chapter is how the Stormfather can tell when Dalinar is thinking about him. That's... So, just um... like us. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. I know know you've been thinking about me. (laughs) I'm just saying, I can tell. I can tell. So, Dalinar says, And I'm free, (laughs) free falling. I don't think that's what he said. No, but he was, I mean... It's true. Would you fly with a windrunner if you had the chance? No goddamn way. No way. No way. But I think there's maybe a little bit of foreshadowing here or something is being built up with Navani's ship because Dalinar goes off on this little thing where he thinks about how uh, terrifying it would be to be on a ship at sea in a storm. And he talks to the storm father about how like, he's like, yo, you're like really rough on ships and, and the storm father was so like, hard well, on ships, bro? He's like, well, is there stupid fault for being at sea? Yeah. Why would you be on the water? You don't belong there, dummy. Exactly. And then, you know, right Land after this, fruit. we realize that uh, Navani is building ships for windrunners to yeah, fly. Yeah. yeah. They don't belong in the air. Air fruit. I don't right? know where that's coming from. I just, <laughs> it seemed like something that a bully would say. You know, like an ocean-going bully, like an like like if like Triton's like teenage son <laughs> pop up with his with his like little trident and be like, "Where are you going, land fruit?" <laughs> he poked the hull. Ha, suckers! <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know why I thought that was funny. But. What do you? Do not smell and do not taste is Iocane powder. Right. That's <laughs> what I thought about too. But before we get before we get to that, so we get a better idea of exactly what type of stick it is that is up Cat Ash's butt. Right. He says, Surely you'd want to know. Or I'm sorry, Dalinar says. Surely you'd want to know if the Almighty were dead, Kadash. Stepping back into the room, tell me you wouldn't. You know what it would mean, Kadash said. It means there would be no spiritual basis for your rule. Mm -hmm. I know. And the things you did in conquering Alethkar, Kadash said. No divine mandate, Dalinar. Everyone accepts what you did because your victories were proof of the Almighty's favor. Without him, 
The what are you? Mm-hmm. Fucking murderer. And so that's a really good point about how this religion, Voronism, ties into these these personal journeys that we've been following and this whole idea of personal responsibility. And basically, according to their religion, is you pick a, a vocation, a calling, and that as long as you're getting better at your calling, that's it. So, like, there's no morality outside of just being good at what you do. And if you say your calling is killing people on a battlefield, then that's Line it. them up. Daddy got to practice. That's right. That's right. You know, so in this case, you know, there's this is a very important idea of is there an outside morality? And that is what Dalinar seems to be trying to find outside of his religion. And this idea of the importance of questioning dogma, it gets brought up a whole lot in this series. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Kadash is the the vehicle for most of that. It's important to note, too, that we see Kadash in in the flashbacks as being right right there alongside mm-hmm. of Dalinar so we can understand why he is clinging to this idea. Yeah, well, of, he was the one he rescued in the beginning, right? Right, yeah. right. Or, I don't, rescued is not the right word. <laughs> right. But whatever it was he did. But Dalinar notes that everyone likes the system, you know, kind of, it kind of works for a lot of people, but, you know, that doesn't make it right, you know, and the fact that he got approval from the Ardents while he was running around mass murdering, yeah. you know, but now all of a sudden they're, they're condemning him for marrying his, his dead brother's ex, like, you know. Yeah. I think it's also important to note that Dalinar says, well, it works for a lot of people, a lot of people that Dalinar has been hanging out with. Right. It's not working for a lot of the people who, who are trapped in shitty areas and can't, aren't allowed to leave. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't work for most people. It's just, he surrounds himself mm-hmm. with the people whom it works for. Right. The other quote I have is here towards the end of the chapter. Dalinar says, gods and heralds have been warring and we were too focused on our own petty problems to even notice. I mean... Like, that's the entire series. Like, right. like one sentence, whole series. Yeah. Why did I read 2,500 pages to get to this point? <laughs> you could have started here. Hey, I am a stick. I mean, that's why you've read 2,500 pages. <laughs> Chapter 51 is called Full Circle. Moash realizes that he is basically back on the bridge cruise again. Shalan talks Elikar into sending her on the mission to Kolinar. We start off with Moash. A little information about the fused here. They have varieties like the Radiance, but a little bit different. So they have flyers who almost never seem to walk, but don't run out of stormlight. So they're not using the same type of investiture. They don't have the same kind of power or rules that Mm -hmm. the Radiance do. And then they have those that don't fly, but that seem to have some kind of dark light that they emit. And he notes that the Voidbringers aren't trying to destroy everything. They're conquering, but they're not, they're not like this, this mass force of annihilation that he was expecting. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen all these other desolations in the past, 
some of which separated by, as mentioned in our last section, only two years. Now they've had 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. So the fused and the people, the ancestors and the souls of the dead Mm -hmm. who have been in damnation have had 4,000 years to plan this. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be wise for us to not expect it to be the same way. Not that we know a ton about what the desolations used to be like, but I don't think... I think it would be foolish for us to think it would be exactly the same. Uh, you're absolutely right. And I guess my comment was more that that Moash is thinking about how this is not what I expected them to be. It's oh, not what yeah, anyone yeah. would have expected them to no, be. Yeah, true. Yeah, for sure. He says, a lumberyard. <laughs> like those back in the war camps, he started laughing. Don't be so jovial, human, spat one of his overseers. You're to spend the next few weeks working here, building siege equipment. When the assault happens, you'll be at the front, running a ladder towards Kolinar's infamous walls. Contemplate this on the Tree of Woe. <laughs> These are the tales of high adventure! The tales of Moash, the Marxist! Nice. So, I think the, the comparison for me between Moash and Shalon is just kind of continuing in this chapter... Moash has come full circle, and that's a very obvious full circle. He's mm-hmm. literally back in a lumber yard. He's not uh, building bridges, but he's going to be running siege ladders. He's basically doing the same yeah, I, thing. I mean, it's, a ver- it's a vertical bridge. <laughs> like- <laughs> exactly. He's, he's literally doing the same thing. But when you think about it, Shalon has also pretty much come full circle to where we first met her. She's signing up for an adventure. For ostensibly good reasons, but mostly just because she wants to escape the shitstorm that she has going on at home. Yeah, absolutely. And she's hella manipulative. Oh, yeah, she she's is. She's like, oh, Elikar. Whose is it, mission is whose it? Whose mission is it? So the Ghostbloods tell Shalon that Ishna is, is merely an innocuous assistant spy. You buy that? She demonstrated an awful lot of skill when we last saw her. So it seems, to, so no, so no, I don't. No, I don't buy that. I mean, she certainly seemed more skillful than what's-her-face with the mask. Yeah, exactly. It was like a, supposedly the master's high trainer. I train Marais. <laughs> I trained him to eat with a fork and a knife. <laughs> Make his letters. I mean, you know, we saw her in one instance going through one thing. It's not like it was something incredibly mm-hmm. advanced. So. Right. It's by no means disproving what they say, but I do think it's it's the timing of it. We saw her. We saw her be competent. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we get the letters being like, well, she's pretty irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, she was just an assistant. Um, she must have been assisting, you know, in a very active way, mm-hmm. I guess. I don't know. So also what Shalon is sort of alluding to when she's talking with Kalinar, like disguising herself and maybe even others, and then walking into Kolinar with all the, the Voidbringers. Sounds like it's going to be a fun read. Gets pretty crazy from here. We'll see. Chapter 52 is called After His Father. It's been four years since Gavilar sent Dalinar out to defend the borders, and the Blackthorn is still on campaign. Evie shows up to the battlefront with two toddlers, like you do when you're codependent and your husband is a murder-hungry battle lord. Like you do. Okay, so Dalinar collapsing in the middle of his armor tent and saying, this is now my audience tent. 
so reminded me of our children at bedtime. <laughs> Here like, have I fallen. fallen <laughs> this is my bedroom now. <laughs> this is where I shall stay. Carry me. <laughs> Bring me pillows, servant. Every night. <laughs> my note is... And the cats and the cradle, how long have I stayed? The king's decree and a shard blade. When you're coming home, dad, I don't know when. To see baby Adolin. To see baby Rinarin. Nice. That That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> you're full of song parodies tonight. I'm loving it. So Cat Ash is here again as well. And we, it's a neat contrast between old Kadash and new Kadash that Dalinar was just arguing with in a recent chapter. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting compare, and I made a table, of course, comparing nice. the two. Then and now. But the most significant thing for me is that Kadash in the flashback still has this, this need for like dogmatic worship. Okay, but his all is fixated on Dalinar. He like accepts Dalinar's assessment of his strategy without question. He's like, oh, you know, you can tell that he is just like, mm-hmm. like Dalinar can do no wrong versus the Kadash that we see now. He's, you know, kind of the opposite. He's pissed off at Dalinar. He's completely closed off to the idea that Dalinar could ever be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's just, he's, kind of translated that that dogmatic worship to the almighty. Well, I think after after he sees what's going to be coming up, right. I'm sure that's when right. that happens. And Dalinar's need for the thrill is getting worse and worse mm-hmm. the more he the more he feeds it. Yeah. And now he's just been in a battle where he's killed hundreds of people, and can you imagine killing hundreds of people but it's it's not enough, it's still there for him. And now he's got to face his wife. And two and two toddlers. And two toddlers. So, yeah, Dalinar's been a real dick. But you know what? He looks good. I mean, apparently, because Evie comes right in and starts stripping off his curious. So, poor Evie. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of... It's a shitty situation for her. So, yeah, she's been on her own, you know, for he's been gone for four years. He came home long enough, I guess, to put another baby in her. And he was he was back off. He didn't even answer her letter asking him what she should name the baby. She's like, I came here, dick, because because I have a one year old without a name. (laughs) And then he has the gall. So can we talk about Renarin's name? Because I absolutely love the translation of his name. Dalinar is like, that's the dumbest name I've ever heard. But <laughs> but apparently, because Evie doesn't quite understand their language, she put these phrases together in a way that Renarin's name means like one who is born unto himself. And that's just so him. And if you mm-hmm. know, you know, anyone with that with that condition as well, it's like they are like one born unto themselves. Like there's no one else like that, mm-hmm. you know? And um, it just, that gave me a little chill. I just, I absolutely loved it. And little Adolin saluting his dad. Beating Charles. Stinking cute was that. That was pretty cute. So that's it. That is our chapter coverage. It is, yeah. For the evening. And I believe we have a message from one more sponsor. We do, we do. Coming right up right now. What? 
is time. What is fashion? What is a fabrial? Seriously, we don't know. Be bold. Be daring. Be the hit of the party when you show up wearing Navani's new bracer clock. They'll know what time it is when you show up wearing a new bracer clock. All of Alethi can't help but notice you when you're wearing a new bracer clock. Yeah, it's freaking huge. Dude, we're trying to sell clocks here. It's seductive. It's smart. It's sleek. It weighs four pounds. Set yourself apart. Like a jackass. Wearing Navani's new bracer clock. You might be compensating for something. Damn it, Liz. Just saying. Are you ready for listener interactions? I am. All right. So every time we can, we we don't do it every episode, but we try as much as possible to put out there something on our Facebook page to about 24 hours or so ahead of when we record to say, hey, if you have questions, bring them here. It's a chance for you to participate in our episode uh, and get your questions across. And of course, we did it this time. And we have our first question from Theo Grand Brown. Theo says... Is Moash a comrade? Is Hello, he, my name is Moash. Is he actually the hero who releases the Spren and their radiance are actually a tool to maintain the ancient privilege structure and oppress the working man? Depress the working classes. I am officially Team Moash now. Yeah, no, I, I'm Team Fuck Moash, absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'll be Team Moash then. All right, okay. All right. Capitalism is a dog fuck. <laughs> Theo also says, also so done with Shalon right now. Okay, opposite, Theo. We're in a fight right now. The quicker she gets on the mission with Elicar and stops being a massive tedium ball, the better. Massive tedium ball. That's a good one. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a right ball and a massive tedium ball. <laughs> Nice phrase. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. And Eric Algar chimes in and said, it was like, you know, we're kind of over this waiting for the mission to Alethkar. And I do kind of feel a little bit like when, when Kvothe was gonna, was he going to leave the university? Was he going to oh still at the yeah. university? Yeah. Eric Algar also says, remember how Dalinar famously misunderstood the almighty's answering machine when he said trust to honor. you've reached honor i'm not home right now but unite them (laughs) well i've been thinking do you think that dalinar might be misguided in his plan to unify all of roshar because unite them really means unite the heralds oh god and he says sorry i haven't read these yet he says if that's true it's a bit of a letdown i was looking forward to queen fen and the blackthorn touching tips (laughs) (laughs) listen you just you want to solve world world p- political problems, you just got to get them all together in a room <laughs> and just make them touch tips. <laughs> Listen, it's, you know, the way to world peace is political bukkake. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, is it past midnight? Is that what happened? No, not even. I've, still got, I've still got 11 minutes to go. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good point. Maybe. Mm-hmm. 
We'll find I don't, out. I don't think so, though. I'm no. going to say I'm going to say no, because I still think the issue with the heralds is that it's a flawed, fucked up system. It's right. a terrible, terrible right. system. And this, you know, this ten book series is going to be about breaking that. Mm-hmm. The, well, you know that you would have to send ten heroes into the afterlife to be tortured eternally, so the rest of mankind can survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that can't persist. Well, we'll find out in 3,500 more pages. There you go. <laughs> Eric also says, one more question, and I'll leave it at two so you guys can go to bed at a reasonable hour. <laughs> if you knew you could save millions of people from a desolation-type catastrophe by killing one person, a person who swore an oath to protect mankind, by the way, but you had to kill them yourself, could you do it? That question started off serious, then turned rhetorical, and then I blew my own mind, wondering if that's what the titular Oathbringer means. Oh, damn. Damn. All right, so on the surface of that question, hell yeah, I'll kill somebody to save all of mankind. And then you say, but you have to do it with your own hands. And then that's where it gets hard. Like intellectually it's like oh yeah clearly right. like there's not it's yeah. not even a question about it you know until you're until you're the one who has to to do it yourself like with your own hands i'd like to think in that sort of scenario i'd be able to do the right thing but it but what's the right thing i don't know i mean i i do think one of the things that we keep seeing in this series is that you know, doing a little bit of something terrible to save a lot of something terrible is never been the right thing. No. It's never been the right thing in this book. Yeah, I agree. But if if it was a situation where it was clear that that was, you know, if you have to kill the captain of the Titanic uh, to stop the Titanic from hitting that iceberg and killing everybody else on the boat, I'd like to think I could do that. Mm. But I don't know that I could. Agree, yeah. And by, and by the way... There was room on the door. Totally room on the door. Ridiculous. But it wouldn't take his weight. That's what everyone misses. We'll just have to agree to disagree. We will. <laughs> Jen Nagel says, you should totally get a dog. Now I'm going to fight with Jen Nagel. Right. I am team dog. With preteens, you'll have people who will totally take care of your future dog, Duncan. Duncan Idaho. Which you would be able to find at a local shelter with the help of PetFinder. PetFinder.com. What say you, the Duke? Fuck no, I'm not getting a dog. <laughs> I don't want a dog. I don't want a I mean, we did go a to a friend's house. Shit cannon. Where they had the cutest dog. I'm not going to lie. It was tempting. That puppy no, was no. cute. And the kids were like playing with it and yeah, no, running no. around. I'm just saying it would be cute. Nope. For like 20 minutes. Yeah, we have friends we, with dogs. It's true. They're great. <laughs> so Jen says, <clears throat> actual book comments now. With as much as I have issue with Voronism, the theme of transformation really resonates with me. I can see how the radiance may have influenced the religion in how both Kaladin and Shallan have been drawing people to them and encouraging them to change and undergo a substantial amount of personal growth. With what Kaladin did in Bridge 4 and what Shallan is doing with her deserters, I'm wondering if that's the real magic of the radiance. Oh, good. 
I think that is a very good point. And I think it's a good point about how something positive, when it gets, when it's being followed dogmatically, can turn into something negative. Yeah, absolutely. Jen says, also, Yasna is absolutely right. Shalon is not ready to end her wardship. Just because someone scored lots of points in sports ball or saved an army doesn't mean their degree is done, much less gotten the hang of Roshar's version of MLA citations. <laughs> she might be radiant and a storming hero, but she's not a scholar yet. Too bad Yasna isn't empathetic enough to realize Shalon needs more reassurance, um, but she's fully aware that she's not the best teacher, and I feel sorry for her in that. Because she lacks empathy. She does. She she's on she's on that diagram spectrum. Jen Nagel asks, "Do you think the breaking down of traditional, especially gender roles, basically, is a turning going to be a turning point in Rosharan society, as far as females joining the Windrunners and stuff like that?" I think absolutely. We see that. We see light eyes and dark eyes kind of. It's shaking up the whole society because there's this whole other. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say ruling class, but there's this whole other um, class of people in the Radiance now. Yeah, I think it's going to have to, because I think it's going to be in a situation where it's going to take everybody. Like, we're not in a situation where we can rely on the light eyes, you know, to be the ones who are good at this and rely on uh, the women to be smart and educated and you know, the men to be like, we're going to need everybody doing everything that they can to the best of their abilities to be able to survive this thing, mm-hmm. you know, and you're going to have to put some of that stuff to the side. You know, the Israeli army has to bring everybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, Jen Nagel um, disagrees that Evie is, is a dishwater person. Mm, okay. She likes her and, and um, she likes... She said, did the, did the Duchess giggle when she saw Evie's wearing sturdy boots under her her hava? Uh, yes, and I also love Evie, like, not getting the safe hand thing and yeah. constantly <laughs> trying to use her left hand. And, like, yeah. I just, I felt that. I really did. <clears throat> um, I still do think that Evie is kind of deliberately a contrast to Navani because um, it's, it's just constantly being brought up how different the two of them are. Well, and the relationship definitely seems different. It's like Dalinar is trying to, it seems like he's trying to force himself to to love this woman. Mm-hmm. Thea Graham Brown says, wanted to mention this absolute howler. He passed through his bunker, which felt hollow, like the rind of a fruit with the pulp scooped out. A, no one needs a simile to explain hollow. Yeah. <laughs> B, I can't think of a fruit you would describe with the words rind and pulp that you would scoop out of its skin, apart from grapefruit, maybe. Kiwi fruit? But you would refer to the skin and the flesh. I definitely thought of a grapefruit. I just thought that there's no fruit big enough for you to walk around in. <laughs> there's a long discussion about fruits on the Facebook page. I'm not going to read them all. Except for maybe Guy Branham. <laughs> what about pork? Pork rinds. there's a long discussion and pictures Mm. of fruit scooping on the facebook group page so if you're not on there you're missing out okay good yeah (laughs) sorry some of them are funny susan king says i think that shallan's personalities are becoming tangled up and shallan herself is disappearing if she ever really existed at all that's right (laughs) 
That personality could have been made up on her way. I also think she likes Vale best and comes up with excuses to be Vale. I mean, basically, if Vale's job is sitting around drinking, then why wouldn't you? So listen, uh, jet fuel can't melt steel. The (laughs) earth is flat. Epstein didn't kill himself. Shallan's not real. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm on this team. (laughs) Pancake theory. Um, she also says, who is in charge of the Voidbringers? Is it the Spren? It's all the motherfuckers got killed with shard blades. It's, um, yeah, it's not the Spren. The, the, um, the fused are the ancestors of the Parshendi who have been killed, but who haven't passed on. And they're coming back and possessing the bodies of, but they're, they bond to. They fuse themselves. They fuse themselves, much like the Spren fuse themselves to or bond with the radiance and they're pissed <laughs> they're pissed <laughs> i've been spending four thousand years having to take a piss <laughs> and i'm gonna piss all over roshar <laughs> she also says in chapter 47 what did yasna learn from wit and when and that's what we said again we think is the recreance the reason behind the recreants, yes. The reason, yeah, the reason behind the recreants. Animal style, baby. Mm-hmm. Susan King also says, in chapter 47, um, Yasna asks, he stirs, he angers. Oh, the enemy. Yasna and Ivory are talking about the enemy. Um, do you know what it means? I assumed odium. Yeah, that's that's what I take it to mean as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Zach Sokol says, why do you think Alethi women cover... Their left hands. I feel like... That's a naughty hand. Oh, it's naughty. It's so dirty. <laughs> I think it's uh, I think it's like keeping a gun in a locked cabinet. <laughs> you don't let that left hand out. You can't out. let that out on the town. <laughs> no, I do. I legitimately think that... Uh, I think that Female Knight's Radiance had uh, different powers, and they were using their right hands for shard blades and their left hands to do something else. They were using their left hands to like cast magic or, Oh, you can, I thought you were going, I'm sorry. I'm in a dirty place right now. I got one hand on a shard blade <laughs> and one hand on a hog and I'm just going like this. And if you get stabbed or squirted in the eye, it's your own fault. <laughs> I cannot unsee that. <laughs> this episode wasn't silly enough. <laughs> Not silly enough. Um, but for real, they, I, I think the answer to that question is, I think it's a commentary on kind of the arbitrariness of modesty, how certain parts are considered racy and certain parts are not, you know, depending on your culture is the real answer to that question. No, the real the real answer to that question is 4000 years ago. Oh, okay, your real female night's sorry. radiance. Your real answer got lost in your obscene hand gestures. Which you brought out of me. <laughs> I think you need to bear some responsibility in that. My name is Moash and I can't take all the blame. <laughs> and that's it. That's all the questions. So, actually, it's not all the questions. Oh, okay. For the first time in a long time, we have a Dear Duchess. Oh, snap. 
We have a Dear Duchess. Let's hear it. Uh, so this comes from somebody who wished to remain anonymous, so I will, I will honor that. It says, Hello, Duchess. I have a 1938 Action Comics issue number seven, mm. signed by Joe Schuster. It's in nearly mint condition. It has the alternate cover, not the one where Superman is, quote, rescuing a businessman, but the one where Superman is throwing Nazi babies off the same roof. Anyway, it's incredibly rare. There's a problem, however. The entire comic is in Albanian. Also, my kids don't talk to me no more. Well, dear Anonymous, obviously you have your priorities straight, so I'm not even sure what advice you need for me, but I would uh, definitely talk to an expert about preserving that bad boy. And, uh, you know, kids come and go. <laughs> Rare comics. There's no replacing. <laughs> you got kids, you can make more. I'm just saying. Duchess out. You know what? Bravo. <laughs> Bully. I are, I'm just you, kidding. I love my kids. <laughs> are you ready? Just for the record, this is this is for posterity. I guess. Awesome. <laughs> I guess. Are you ready for predictions? I am ready. All right. Okay. Prediction the first. Dalinar did not go to the Night Watcher to forget Evie. Okay. He went to the Night Watcher to forget what he does in the rift with that kid. Mm, okay. And that... Tallow, Tanalan or whoever's uprising. Yeah. This whole thing that Kadash is building to, it's mm -hmm. not, a, none of this is about Evie. Mm -hmm. It's about the homicidal rage he's going to go on. Okay. Prediction the second. Yasna is involved in the diagram. Okay. Somehow she's in league with Teravangian. Prediction the third. Yasna will be the quote point of view chapter, the reference, the recollection chapter, uh, in the next book. Mm. And prediction the last. Teft will have one more major bender with the mouse before finally getting his act together. Those are all very good predictions. Those are my predictions. Any thoughts on the big secret of what caused the recreants? I, I think it, I, I do legitimately think that uh, when people die with a shard blade or at least the mm. ones that are being used now mm. that it causes their souls to mm -hmm. go to damnation mm -hmm. and creates more ammunition for odium mm -hmm. okay and i think that the knight's radiance figured that out and that's why they toss their shard blades down all right that's what i think good predictions you ready i am ready all right you can find us on the dukeanddutchesspodcast.com. Don't forget to listen to the end of this for a special world premiere of the hit song, The Ballad of Moash and Graves. <laughs> also, don't forget to come on our Twitter and retweet our tweet. If we get a thousand retweets, we can become the Duke and Duchess officially of our town here in Maryland. We've got about 100 to, so far, so we've got a little ways to go. 
You can find us on the Duke and Duchess podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND podcast on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. Join our Facebook group page at facebook.com slash group slash the DND group. Find us on all the other social medias, the Instagrams, the Reddits, the Goodreads by searching for the Duke and Duchess. If you like what you heard here, tell somebody. Pimp us out, yo. Good night. Good night. Across the frostlands came strangers tall and brave. If you know the story of Moash and Graves. Chased by the fuse no one could withstand. Death from the sky with shot blades in their hands. Shot blades in their hands. The demons gave chase, the fight they did press. The leader shoved a sword right through Graves' chest. That's it. Right through Grace's chest.